Hello and welcome to episode 119 of the Conversations with Ross podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Feel to be joined right now by Jonathan Mangum. Jonathan is an actor and improv comedian. You know him from Whose Line Is It Anyway? And he's currently starring alongside Wayne Brady on Let's Make a Deal. Jonathan, thanks for taking the time to join the podcast today. Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to. Anytime. Well, tell me what initially attracted you to acting in the first place. Um, because uh, engineering was boring and hard. <laughs> I went to uh, my first year of college was at Louisiana State University to be an engineer. And it just became uh, uh, about drinking more than engineering. And because it was just so hard and I just wasn't good at math and stuff. So um, I went to Orlando to do a uh, college program where you can earn credit while you um, work at Disney World during one of the summers, the first summer out of college. And um, there was a lot of acting and stuff at Disney World. And I was like, heck, I'm I'm not going back. I'm staying in Orlando. So that was pretty much the start of it. And is it in Orlando where you discovered improv? It is, yeah. Um, there was a, there's a theater there called SAC Theater, S-A-K. And they're still there now. And it was... Um, where I met Wayne, and we started doing it together, and we were, uh, by doing it, I mean comedy shows. <laughs> comedy shows together. Uh, when we were about 19 years old, and it was a, a great little theater. It wasn't really even touristy, which was cool. It was just for local Orlando people, high school kids and college kids, and we did 13 shows a week, every week, just um, learning the craft of improv. That was great. Ending up on Who's Line, you're one of like the 15, uh, one of 15 people ever who's actually made a living off of improv. How did Who's Line come to be for you? You know, Who's Line was a was a, a long process for me. Um, you know, Wayne hit it big in the year 2000 with Who's Line uh, and started touring and brought me with him. And, and um, I kept, I, I auditioned for Who's Line many, many times, but, um, you know, it's tough to make that, to make that cut. Uh, it's not, I mean, of course you have to have the skill to make it too, but you also have to be right for that fourth position. And from a just producing point of view, they're, they're always looking for, um, a, a female to put in the spot. They're always looking for, um, other minorities to put in the spot just from a producing point of view. So, um, it, as you know, the hundredth tall white guy, <laughs> which seems to be who dominates improv at least, uh, in the in the last five years, um, it, it was tough. But I did a bunch of other improv shows with, for, with that the same producer uh, had going, and um, proved myself on those shows. And so I was offered Who's Line, so I was very happy to do it. What was your least favorite game when you were on Who's Line? You know, I I like all the games on Who's Line, and it's it's um, you know the, the, that fourth chair is kind of a utility player you're kind of a, in some of the dating games you're the straight person asking them to do things and um so there it's, it's different being that fourth person than being one of the regulars as far as some of the games you play but i i really liked all the games there's not really any on whose line that i didn't like to play there are improv games in general i don't like to play but on whose line they, they were all pretty fun for me i'm not a fan of guessing games in improv because i feel like you're just doing charades at that point and you're not actually doing anything that revolves uh, around the skill that is a very good point. And the key to those games being entertaining is not just, it's not about the guessing, it's about being funny in the guessing and being funny in the in how you're giving clues. And funny in a way that people don't expect. So, um, you know, Wayne is notorious for, uh, if he's trying to give a clue, he'll, he'll act out a whole damn story being five and six different characters, all, you know, communicating with each other. So he, he's so entertaining 
giving clues um, that it becomes more than charades. And that's that's the goal in that game, to make it more than just charades. But yeah, I mean, that, that can be horribly boring if it's just trying to guess a charade thing. And whose line, of course, is short-form improv? Do you have any experience doing long-form improv as well? I do, yeah. Uh, long-form improv is, is, is riskier. It's tougher. Um, you know, the, all the best groups at it are the groups that have been doing it the longest. You know, it's, you, you have to know your teammates uh, inside and out to, to pull off a great um, long-form show. But there are some great ones. Uh, unfortunately, because of how television works and how editing works, um, long-form, I don't think, I mean, you know, someone can prove me wrong and that would be awesome. But I don't see it ever working on TV in the way that um, Whose Line does in short-form, which is easily uh, modulized. I don't know if that's a word, but cut and stuck in and fit into little slots where, you know, in long form, you, you, you can't really miss anything. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think long form, I, I like both. I've performed in both too, but I think long form has a higher ceiling and a much lower floor. A great long form show, everyone, it, you feel like the best thing ever. But if you're in the yeah. audience at a bad long form show, you are in for the worst theater experience <laughs> of your life. It, it's true. It, I, I've seen both. And yeah, there's just, at least in short form, if something's sucking, you know that you're onto a new game in three minutes and it doesn't matter. But yeah, once, oh God, if you're 10, 15 minutes into a long form show, either watching or performing, it's bad too. If you're performing and you're 15 minutes into it, you're like, this is not congealing. And, you know, right around the 15 minute mark, you go to your, um, in your mind, okay, everybody, let's turn this ship around. But if, if the turn the ship around moment doesn't, Oh God! And you're there for oh man, another rough. right, another half hour. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be so rough. Well, let's shift focus to let's make a deal. Tell me about how this gig came to be for you. You know, like I said, since since Wayne got whose line and uh, since yeah in 2000, he, he pretty much has just brought me along for the ride, which is fantastic. So when let's make a deal came around, they're like, he's like, I mean, I'm hosting this show, and they're like, well, who do you want to be over there? Anybody you want? He's like, yeah. My friend, Jonathan, um, I had never announced anything in my life. Um, I started doing an impression of what I thought an announcer should sound like. Uh, and, and then, ironically, I became what I was trying to mock. And now I describe cars. Is it odd? I mean, that this game show, in some format or another, has been around for over 50 years. Is it odd trying to create something new out of something that's been around for something so long? It's it's odd, yes, in a way. But in another way, I don't think it could have happened any other way. I mean, we, Wayne... And I would have lost our minds if we were just, you know, saying, hello, how are you? Would you like this or would you like that? Oh, you pick that. Oh, well, you get this. I mean, we, we would literally go insane. Um, so he found a way to make it kind of a variety show that's also a game show. And does anyone get on that show that's not in costume? <sighs> They're not in costume. You know, occasionally people have – the producers look for people that have good personalities – because at the beginning, we would just take anybody that had a good costume, and they'd win a car, and they'd go, yay, a car. And it's just boring, and no one wants to see someone not excited to win a car. So they started you know, looking for people to pick that had excitement and um, exuberance. But you know, normally, those kinds of people that are positive and fun have dressed up anyway, because they're, they're all in for the fun of what the show is. So... But but occasionally people come on, you know, they, they don't have much of a costume. They'll get picked if they're just, if they have a sparkling personality. Do you find that because of your experience on Who's Line and now on Let's Make a Deal, that you're almost being labeled 
in that host category that if you want to pursue scripted material that you're getting more challenges or more obstacles are in your way because that's not what people see in you right now? I don't. I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually up for a movie right now. I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to be able to do that. Um, so I don't see that. But also at the same time, it's like unless you are a famous person, you, you don't get to pick what, you know, I, I don't read the script and decide if I'm going to do it or not. If someone <laughs> offers me an audition or a job, I take it. There, there is no luxury for for the middle class uh, actors. You 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 take any job that comes your way. Um, so I haven't seen any problem. The, the only problem has been scheduling. When, when let's make a deal, take seven months out of the year. It's tough to you know get a series regular part on a show when you're, you're limiting your time right away. But as far as the like the recurring or the guest stars or a movie that shoots in the off time, I haven't seen any uh, decline in those opportunities. Do you shoot Let's Make a Deal daily, or do you shoot like five a day? We shoot, um, we used to shoot, uh, up until now, seasons one through six, we shot uh, two episodes a day, four days a week. Starting uh, when we start up in June, our seventh season, it will be three shows a day, four days a week. So we'll have a, a shorter, uh, it'll be four months instead of seven months, which will give um, Wayne and myself more opportunities to do other things. Tell me about your worst audition experience. Oh, I, there have been so many bad auditions. I, I should say, you know, if anyone's an actor or you're thinking about acting, auditioning is not acting. It is a separate skill. Uh, it is because, because if you're acting and you're doing a job, you know, if you mess the lineup, um, they just say, cut up, pick it up from the top. There's no, there's no pressure. You don't have to worry about making a mistake once you have the job. But the audition is almost like you have to do it perfectly because even if you, if you make a mistake and you lose confidence for a second, um, it's just, they lose confidence in you. So it's a horrible thing. No one I know likes it. Um, the worst one, God, it's so really bad when number one, I was, I was auditioning to play an agent and the agent was on the phone and, talking fast and being all agenty and uh I, they they weren't even looking at me while I was reading I just so I started getting desperate like you know like what am I going to do I got to be funny I got to be funny so so the the phone I was talking on I I I, I kind of threw it at him like was, <laughs> and it 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 hit a um uh, what do you call the uh, a snow globe on the casting director's desk and cracked it cracked the snow globe and water <laughs> slowly trickling out and I'm finishing the scene just looking and they're all looking at the snow globe as the water's trickling out. I'm just finishing my lines because I have to as the desk slowly gets wetter and oh god it was just horrible. And no one says at that point wait a second clean up the snow globe and then like let you start over. It's just let's they were, start. They were, they were in shock. They're like this actor just threw a cell and this is back when cell phones were more brickish. Threw a cell phone at the desk, did he really just crack that snow glow? And so they were just kind of like looking at it, like, is this for real? And it, it, I mean, yeah. After a couple seconds, they kind of like, oh, oh. And she went to get a towel, but I had finished by then. I said thank you and left the room. <laughs> I didn't look back. How about your worst moment in front of a live audience? You know, there was one moment where um, if, if, you, if you pretend to hurt yourself, in an improv scene, it's funny or can be, but if you actually hurt yourself, 
you can't turn it around. Even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't really hurt that bad, what the audience thinks it did, there you will not get laughs. I was in a show in Hawaii with Wayne Brady and a guy named Corey Rouse. We're doing a three-man show, and um, I had had a giant scab on my knee from um, uh, rollerblading a couple weeks before. I had this big old scab, and we were doing a show, and I'm wearing khaki pants and a black button-down shirt. And, you know, I do some bit and I land on my knee and I just feel the scab under my khakis come completely off. I'm like, oh boy, my scab just came off. And there's a a blood mark now on my knee. (laughs) And and I even say to the audience, oh, it's cool. They don't worry about it. I had a little little scab there. Let's just keep going. Um, But as the show, as we kept going on, it just started getting bigger and bigger. (laughs) Like the whole front of my khakis were stained with blood and the audience was just so concerned <laughs> they would not they would not follow us into the land of improv. They were just just oh, oh God. Oh, just the whole time. But it was like so I had to I had to actually leave the show and let Wayne and my friend Corey continue it. I think all of my horrible stories involve some kinds of fluids coming out when they shouldn't. So At least you weren't wearing shorts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would have been worse, yeah. What are some of the obstacles that you've encountered as a working actor that you didn't necessarily anticipate when you decided to make this your career? Um, the biggest obstacle is yourself. Um, that's cliche, but um, when you finally realize that, um, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, you know, you go in, you do a good job, you don't get it, and you think, oh, I, I must have not been the best. I must have not done it right. And it's so not true. There's so many things happening they cast somebody else. The part gets cut. They decided to go with an African-American. They decided to throw the cousin of the producer. I mean, there's literally hundreds of reasons why you don't get the part, and you never hear it. You never hear it. No one ever calls you and says, hey, this is what happened and why you didn't get it. So you go in, you do an audition, you leave, and you're like, well, I didn't get the part. I must have sucked. And um, that's horrible because most parts you don't get. Um, and once you realize that, you know, if you can get erase that negative thought in your mind, yourself telling you you're not good, that's why you didn't get it. And you realize, no, it's just, it's so random. It's every audition is a lottery ticket. You know, you don't feel bad when you don't win the lottery. You don't go, oh, man, I fucking picked the wrong numbers. I'm an asshole. <laughs> you know, so it's the same thing. You just have to let it go and not not be hard on yourself. Do you think that social media has changed the way actors approach acting at all? I remember early on in the podcast, one of the early episodes, I had an actor come on who said that he's had casting directors tell him that the reason why he didn't get a part is because someone else had more followers than him. And they thought that would be a better way to help market the movie. I absolutely have heard of that. And it is true. Um, It also is arbitrary. I mean, everyone knows you can just go out and buy yourself 100,000 Twitter followers or you can go and hack your IMDb score and... So it's 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 fake it's it's all so fake, but yeah, it it does happen, and I've heard of that. What a weird thing! It's it, yeah, it just it just doesn't make any sense. It's it's, but it's true. I mean, they're always looking for a reason. They're looking to have knowledge that they don't have. So a casting director is like, you know, oh well, this person also has seventy five thousand Twitter. You know, their job is to. What a casting director hates is doing a casting and having the producers go, we don't like anybody. And they're like, well, shit. You know, if I go have to do another casting, I've already picked the best people that I think were great. I'm going to have to go dig into them and it's going to get harder and harder. So they want the producers to pick who they want from that first, you know, casting 
um, session. And so, you know, they're going to do anything they can. Well, you maybe he didn't, he's not the best actor in the world, but he does have a hundred thousand footer followers. The producers go, Oh, a hundred thousand. Well, okay. Well, if, if 5% of them each bought a ticket to the movie and then, well, I guess, all right, you know, so yeah, it all, it's all BS, but it, it does count, especially now. Yeah. You mentioned earlier on that you were studying engineering before you sort of discovered acting and improv. Did you hold any non-acting jobs before things took off for you? I did. You know, I um, see. I worked at Disney for a while um, during that college program, but then I was I was a host at, a, at an Italian restaurant for about four months, um, and then when I moved to California in '95, I um, I was a temp at a bank, um, which was unbelievably horrible. <laughs> Um, but, but I mean, that's, those are the only two jobs I think. I mean, I was a lifeguard when I was in high school, but other than that, it's all been, uh, all the income and work knock on wood has been from acting and improv. Is being a working actor what you expected it to be? Um, no, no. Um, you expect a, a tra- trajectory, I guess. Um, I use an analogy from a game I played for 10 years, uh, World of Warcraft, where, Every time you log on and play, you get a little bit better, whether it be in your armor or one of your skills or one of your um, – you're, you're always better every time you play. And in acting, it's not like that. I mean, you can go up and down and, you know, you'd think, oh, if I'm in it for 50 years, you know, like a, someone in the business world, they see the ladder as being, you know, working in the mailroom to the CEO. Um, but it's not always like that um, with acting. I mean, you can go up and down and – left and right and suddenly you're an announcer on a hit game show and then you're you know off i wrote a bunch of pilots and shot some pilots this year and came real close to selling them so i could have been a showrunner um this year Uh, so you just there's no rhyme or reason to what happens well tell me about the writing side for a bit when you're writing and you're pitching your shows who are you pitching to at this point are you pitching to network executives and what do the people have in front of them when you're pitching well there's two ways to do it. You can pitch to what they call a pod, which is a production company. And if you pitch to them, they come on board and they take a piece, but then they go to the buyers that they have relationships with, or you can go direct to the network. Um, in which case a production company would be assigned later or you'd find one later. What I've done is an expensive way of doing it is I, I wrote, co-wrote with two different people, two pilots and we financed them and shot them and and whittled them down to fantastic three-minute trailers, um, which we then used. So when you go in the room, rather than going through the, the hard task of explaining tone and say, well, my show's kind of like this, but it's kind of like that, it's kind of like 30 Rock, but it's kind of like this, you can, um, you can play your trailer. And that has advantages and disadvantages, but that's the way that I uh, did the last uh, couple projects I worked on. And although none of them sold, um, people were very positive by them and they, they said, please, you have, we have, you have an open door to come back and pitch anything anytime. So next time I go pitch, I don't, I don't need video to prove that I'm funny. Are the projects that you were pitching essentially dead at this point or can those get resurrected elsewhere? Well, the, the great thing about writing, unlike acting, which is one advantage of writing, is when you write something, it's always there and it stays on your shelf. Uh, when, you, when you prepare an audition and you don't get it, you're done. All that, that work is done. So writing is a lot more work up front, but yeah, there's one project I'm doing. It's um, from, geez, it's six years ago. I came up with my wife with this um, kid show, kind of like a, a daily show for kids. And we pitched it all around and 
you know, lots of interest and no one bought it. It's five years later and everyone that said no at all the places we went are gone. There is no record of us having pitched this and it's still relevant and it still works. So we're going back out with it again as if it was never pitched. That's amazing. It's a it's a weird industry. It's so small, but they'll all be back in five years in some other capacity. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows where they are? Well, you've been listening to Jonathan Mangum. You can check him out on Let's Make a Deal and give him a follow on Twitter at Mangum One. That's M A N G U M, the number one. Jonathan, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Hey, it was a pleasure talking to you. 